we are continuing the series of Jesus Is, and I have uh, <clears throat> included in with it today because it is, in fact, Father's Day. I will begin with what I are affectionately referred to as dad jokes. So... <laughs> But don't worry, as a Baptist preacher once said, quoting Elizabeth Taylor to her husbands, this won't take very long, <laughs> and you'll be gone. <laughs> Jamie one time, who was a faithful prayer warrior, asked God, how long is a million years to you? And surprisingly, God answered and said, it is but a second, Jamie. Jamie then said, God, how much is a million dollars to you? He said, it's like a penny. She said, God, can I have a penny? He said, wait just one second. <laughs> a brand new pastor had come to town, and as sometimes happens when a new pastor comes in, some of the members had passed away, and he ended up having so many funerals over a couple-of-week period that he didn't have time to prepare any type of sermon. So he literally preached the same sermon for three straight weeks in a row. Just each week he would just re-preach it. Several of the people from the congregation and the deacons got incredibly upset, so they went ahead and formed a delegation to try and get him ousted. They said, listen, he's preaching the same thing every single week. They took it to the main elder of the church, and the church said, okay, you're upset, what was he preaching about? And they all kind of looked at each other and said, well, we don't remember the specifics, but we know it was the same sermon. He goes, you know what? I'm going to give him one more week. <laughs> a woman from Boston by the name of Gladys Dunes, Gladys Dunes, was visiting church for the first time as she was touring through Tennessee. After the service, as the congregation was exchanging greetings, she was exiting out, and one of the other congregants said hi to her. And she said, hi, I'm Gladys Dunes. He said, yeah, I'm so glad it's done, too. <laughs> Billy Graham was just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And he was doing a crusade. This is during the early part of his, his career in the 40s. And... He was unfamiliar with the area in South Carolina, and he kept asking people for directions. And this little kid the whole time was sitting on the corner, and finally he looked at the little kid, and he said, hey, he goes, I need to mail a letter, where's the post office? And the boy gave him directions, and real, real specific directions. And Billy said to him, if you come to Central Baptist Church tonight, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. The boy replied, no thanks, you can't even find the post office. <laughs> <laughs> And so with that, those are my dad jokes. I already wasted, well, I'll tell you one that I took, because I have a fifth one on here that uh, don't really have a lot of men in the audience, so it's not going to work as well. But um, one of the most, the craziest things was that every Sunday that we were going, we, I grew up pretty poor, so we didn't get to eat out very often. But when we did, once every three to six months, my dad would say, okay, mom gets to choose, what do you want to eat? So I don't care, we'll eat anywhere. And, he'd, and whatever he chose, she would ultimately say, oh, I didn't want to eat there. And he'd say, well, why didn't you choose some? I, it, it didn't really matter. And so 
as somebody once famous once said, you know, the reason why women have a hard time making up their mind is probably because the last time a woman decided where to eat, it threw the entire world into sin. And with that, we are done. So that is five jokes for Father's Day. So that is our dad jokes for this time. And we're going to be in the book of John, the gospel of John. And we'll do it later. In the 10th chapter. Gospel of John in the 10th chapter. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. In John, we have several I am statements that are made. Some are actual I am statements, as in God saying, I am, Jesus saying, I am the great I am, meaning he is God. And then we have the metaphors. So we have seven of those, and we're working our way through those. They're all in the Gospel of John. Right now, we are going to be looking at the good shepherd. In the 10th chapter of John, in the first verse, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter, or the, you know, the guard at the door, opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee for, from him, for they know not the stranger's voice. I want to stop real quick. I don't know if, even though we're in a farm, kind of a farming community around here, I don't know if you've seen many sheep herds, but I've had the pleasure of seeing a couple sheep herds before. And it is the strangest thing. Like, there will be, there was a situation where there was probably five, 6,000 sheep, and they were all just kind of mingling together. And there were three guys standing there talking. And suddenly the one chef, the one guy stands up and he makes a little call. It's just like, like he goes, type of thing. And all the sheep that are his literally walk over to the side and get in the line. And when he walks away, they follow him right where he goes. And then the next guy, with, and the sheepherd is completely intermingled. And the next guy does his holler and starts to walk, and his sheep right out and follow. It's the craziest thing. But when Jesus says that, that they hear the voice and follow, and the shepherd goes in front of them, that's true. He leads the way, and they follow. They just, they know his voice, and they follow. So... That's, I mean, it's a really, the, the, the illustration works because Jesus had to die and go to heaven first so that we can follow. He is the good shepherd. We follow him in all things. He doesn't lead from behind. He leads from the front. Sixth verse says, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I come that they may have life, and they might have it more abundantly. 
11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is not, he is a hireling and he cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. Therefore, there was a division, therefore, again among the Jews, for these sayings. And many of them said, He has a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. And it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, but my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for this time. May you be with us as we get deeper into your word and we see what you have for us on this Father's Day that will help us as individuals and as a community to grow and to understand why it is important that we see you as the Good Shepherd and why we continue to use you as our example. We ask for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the Good Shepherd and the flock belongs to him. It belongs to him for several reasons. One is by choice. He chooses to save us. He chose to lay down his life. No man took it from him. He laid it down and he took it back. He chose us. Anybody who was ever in doubt of what you're worth, remember, God chose you. He felt it was good enough. If nobody else in the world would ever have gotten saved except you, Jesus still would have died. He would have went through all of it for just you. That's God. Jesus chose to do this. He knew the beginning from the end. And when the idea was hatched, I guess, to say, because in God's mind, there's never an idea hatched. He always knows everything. The idea was he was going to come and suffer and die. And he said, I'll do it faithful, and he did it by choice. As shepherds, the shepherds do it by choice. Being a shepherd is not a glamorous job in any stretch of the imagination. It's dirty, 
long hours. It's hard. It's difficult because if you your sheep do go end up becoming, you know, if they're they end up getting slaughtered or something, you have to part with them after a couple of years of living and raising them. So it is a difficult and dirty job. They are the flock is also belongs to God because it is a gift from the Father. God is a Trinity. There's three persons, one God, three three personalities. And the Father in heaven gave the sheep to the Son on earth. He gave them as a gift, and he received them. And he's strong enough to keep them. They'll never get away. He 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 keeps them in his hand. Even when they go to the edges, he still keeps them. But they're a gift, and therefore he cherishes them as a gift. He also bought them. Now, in most ideas, we would say, you paid a price for him. He did. He paid a price, the price of his own blood for his sheep. He says the, sheep, the shepherd gives his life for him, if that need be. And he did. He gave his life. So he bought us. We are his. We belong to him. By capture, Jesus goes out and gathers the sheep and brings them in. When they do get scattered, he goes out and finds them and brings them back. When he's looking for them, he goes out and he, they wander off. He goes back and brings them back. He looks for them. He searches for them. And connected to that is the reason why they're his is because he disciplines and he does discipline, but he disciplines them. This is the hardest one. But if the shepherd didn't care for the sheep, he wouldn't discipline them. There's a difference between discipline and beating. Now, the shepherd does not beat his sheep. He does not strike them in anger, and he does not because a strike in anger is to sin. He disciplines. It is for their better. It is for their, them that he does it. He doesn't do it for himself. It's painful at times, but he has to do it. It's the analogy of when the young sheep, and there are certain sheep, little little lambs, that will be more, they're just more, you know, stubborn than others. And sheep are stubborn in general. They have to be trained. But they will just, they'll wander off. And it doesn't matter if they decide they're going to wander off onto this cliff that overlooks a thousand foot drop. If they wander off to that cliff, and you go get them and bring them back, They'll wander right back to that cliff. And they'll do it over and over again until they fall off and die. But you know what the shepherd does is he goes and he finds them. And when he finds them, when they're young, when they're still young, he finds them and he breaks their two front legs. And that's painful for him. But what he does then is he then puts a little splint, wraps their legs up, and then he carries them over his shoulders. And he carries them. And they're because they're leg, front legs, they can't feed themselves. So he has to feed them. He has to scoop and feed. And the sheep, over a period of time, begins to feel a sense of connection and actually embraces the ownership of the shepherd. And so the discipline brings a closeness that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And if the shepherd didn't do that, the sheep might perish from its own stubbornness. But he loves them, he has to discipline them. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't discipline them. He would just let them go and do what they want to do. But he does love them, so he disciplines. Discipline is something that only comes from love. It only comes from love. Punishment can come from anything. It can come from 
on high. It can come from political sources. It can come from it. Punishment doesn't take anything. But discipline, because discipline is different. It has to do with having the one who's receiving the discipline's best in mind the entire time. So Christ is truly the good shepherd. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, that we are to be imitators of him just as he is an imitator of Christ. So I have three ways that we are to imitate Jesus, the good shepherd. And believe me, these are not exclusive to gender, but they will sound that way because, you know, let's face it, generally a shepherd is of the male variety. But number one, to be a shepherd of those who are weaker and lesser is to be a fighter for those who can't defend themselves. To be a fighter, but also to fight for truth. Because as long as you're fighting for truth, you're always on the right side. As long as you're fighting for the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, you're always on the right side. And it doesn't always take hands and fists and knives and weapons. Sometimes it just takes a word. Sometimes it just takes a self-defense. But sometimes it does mean you have to be offensive. We're going to jump to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. And the 17th chapter. So 1 Samuel, 17th chapter. We're going to start in the 31st verse. It says, and this is, I'll just give some context. This is when David finds out that Goliath is out there and he's blaspheming the name of God. And he's, and he's taunting God out in the battlefield. And David sa- says to his brothers, he can't do that. Somebody has to stop him. And they said, they got mad at him because he was saying somebody had to stand up for truth. That'll happen. When you're going to stand up for truth, the people who are okay with the status quo will get mad about it. You will have resistance when you're on the right side always going to happen that way. But starting in the 31st verse, it says, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. I mean, they reset him. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, meaning Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against that Philistine to fight with him, for thou art a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. See, and David said, moreover, the Lord has delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. See, David was a shepherd, and David understood the importance of the sheep to his father. His father gave them to him, just like the father God gave the sheep to Jesus. And you know what David did when he came upon a lion once? 
he fought that lion. And when he came upon a bear once, he fought that bear. And he was smart, too, because if you ever want to take lessons on it, believe it or not, actually, like there was a guy who was teaching people how to kill a bear with just a knife. And he, you get under it, you grab it by the neck, and you go, go to town. Because if you're too close to it, it can't strike you. So you get right up on it. Sometimes you have to be on the offensive, and you have to go fight, because they can't defend themselves. That's the case with little ones, with little children, little lambs that can't defend themselves. Sometimes you have to do it. That's the same thing sometimes with the church, with, with the, the flock of God. Sometimes they're being taken, and, and one by one, and somebody has to stand up for what's right and go against that one. So being a soldier for God, fighting for truth, is what a shepherd does. Sometimes he has to be forward and has to take the offensive and attack to protect the sheep. That is what God did. That's what Christ did. Christ took that. He went forward before us, and he took the lion head on. The lion, the, you know, the, the bear, we're talking about, you know, he was slain on the cross. That He took that. He went forward. He protects us in that way. Our second point is, for being a shepherd, is to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists. But watch out. We're going to jump to Samuel 20. Or, uh, Jeremiah in the 23rd uh, chapter. So Jeremiah in the 23rd chapter. So this will be right after Isaiah in your Bibles, in case you don't have it tabbed. We're going to read the first couple verses. In the 23rd chapter, Jeremiah it says, this is remember, Israel was in trouble because they went astray and were not listening and following God. First verse of the 23rd chapter says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you evil of your doings, saith the Lord, and I will gather the remnant of the flock out of the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and in his name whereby we shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord lives, which brought us up out up the children of Israel out of Egypt. But the Lord lives, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither they were driven, and they shall dwell in their own land. Mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man. And like a man whom wine has overcome, because the Lord, because of the Lord, and because of the words of his holiness, for the land is full of adulterers, and because of swearings the land mourns, the pe pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, 
and their course is evil, and their force is not right. See, we have, and Levin says, For both the prophet and the priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. See, God puts people in place to be shepherds. And unfortunately, sometimes they take, they fleece the flock. They take advantage of the flock. They do things that scatter the flock. And God is not happy about that. God repays that. That is something that we need. We do need. But if somebody tells you, I, two weeks ago, I had to go, I had to go off on somebody because it's the touch not God's anointed. Meaning, anytime a pastor is caught in doing something that's wrong, they say, touch not God's anointed. Like, you're not supposed to correct them because they're doing something, or they're saying something, or they're teaching something that's ridiculous. Happens a lot in the prosperity gospel, but you know what? There are a lot of Baptists out there that do the same thing. They stand up on high, and they preach from a point of authority, and then when they get caught doing something, they say, touch not God's anointed. Meaning, God sent me to do this, so I'm allowed to get away with whatever I want. That's not true. That's not true. You're to test everything against their scripture. Hold them accountable. Know that they are put here. God will judge them harder for do, taking and fleecing the flock. That That is, they are supposed to be a buffer. They're supposed to be protecting the flock. Instead, they're fleecing the flock. It's so much worse. It's so much worse than just if somebody out in the world were doing it. But, but we have that in our churches, in our pulpits, across the world. We have people fleecing the flock. And it needs to be called out. It needs to keep them in. You don't have to do it in the middle of a service. You don't have to do it in a disrespectful way. But you know what? They need to be called on it. If they're not doing it, they need to be called on it. And especially if they're doing it openly. There are people out there doing it openly. And it's not right. And God is not okay with that. We're not going to go to it, but Ezekiel says the same thing. Ezekiel says the same thing. God says, you know what? The pastors, the shepherds, the prophets that I put over you, they are destroying and scattering the flocks. How many times have you seen, in this church itself has had this, where you see churches break up, you see churches go. Why? Because there's a disagreement among leadership. Why? Because somebody feels that they're, oh, I got an assignment from God, and what I want is more important than what the flock wants. You know, they have to weigh that against the best thing for the flock. Sometimes the, but what you want isn't the best thing for the flock. Sometimes it is. It's a give and take. But the pastors, we are called to be pastors. To Pastor means to keep take them safe over the land. To keep track of them. To keep them safe. It's, it's the job of pastors to be imitate Christ and to protect people from the evil. And God takes it doubly important when they do turn and they, they fleece the flock instead. It's a terrible thing. But we were to imitate Jesus because Jesus would never do such a thing. He protects us. He guides us. He led them through the wilderness. When they were out in the desert, he led them. He led them. He was in front of them. And our third is, and this is more about how we are in Father's Day. Fathers and father figures. Men are called in the Bible to step up. They just are. Men have an extra, God put a little extra on them. Now, women have a very important job. They're called 
to fill in the gaps. And unfortunately, sometimes a woman has to fill in the gap where she shouldn't, where a guy should be. But she has to step up and do what's right anyways. But fathers and father figures are important. I printed out a thing here, and I'm just going to go over it real quick. The first thing is, is that when a child is raised in a fatherless home, well, when a child is raised where a father is absentee or is just not a very present father, a girl is three times more likely to end up pregnant before she hits 16. When the father is not present, she's seven times more likely to be pregnant before she's 16. Children are seven times more likely to have behavioral problems. They are twice as likely to be abused by their mother when there's a single mother than they are when there's a family involved. There's a twice the level, and this is, I didn't even, infant mortality, children dying in the crib, happens twice as often in families without a father. There's only a, a one they are 17 times, or 17% more often, they abuse drugs and alcohol. They are 17 times more likely to go to prison. They are twice as likely to drop out of high school, and they, are, they have 70 times more, they commit 70 times more crime. 70 times more crime without having a father. If this is taken from a Lifeway survey, which is the Southern Baptist Convention. It says if both mother and father, or this, actually, no, I think this is like pure or something. If mother, both mother and father attend church services regularly, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will attend it some way, or get saved and be in some way affiliated with church. If the father is not practicing, but the mother is a faithful, regular attendee, 2% of the children will become regular attenders. 2%. And that's if the mother is persistent. 2% will become. 37% will in some way go to church, special occasions, this and that. Over 60% of the children in that situation will never go back to church or have anything to do with church ever again after they hit adulthood. Never go back. They're lost. If the father is a regular attender, but the mother is an irregular attender or not practicing, the percentage of children becoming regular attendees as adults, 38%. With, that's with the irregular mother, meaning when she's just sort of in and out, but he's faithful. And when she is non-practicing, 44% of all children will become regular attenders at all, just simply because their father went. And it, this, is a re- this is a comment from the research. So this research actually shows as if its loyalty of the children to the father's commitment actually grows stronger in proportion to the mother's laxity or hostility towards religion. Meaning if the mother is more hostile towards religion, the children will actually grip stronger onto it because the father is okay with it. They will actually gravitate towards it more. And yet, if you think about it, 
when it was the other way around, with just the mother going, 2%. That means it's 12 times as many children will go to church as adults if the father is an attendee. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful the mother is in devotion, only one child out of 50 will become a regular worshiper. And 40 out of 50 will be lost to the faith forever. But if a father goes regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between 66% and 75%, meaning between 33 and 40 of 50 kids, will become regular churchgoers. Fathers are important. Fathers are there so that the kids have something to strive for. They're important. And it doesn't mean blood bond. Anybody can be a father figure if they step up. If a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, 3.5% of the time, the rest of the family will become saved, will get saved. If a mother is the first to become a Christian, around 17% of the time, the rest of the household gets saved. But if the father is the first to convert, 93% of the time, the entire immediate family gets saved. And this is Sid Woodruff from the uh, men's ministry and, and specialist from Lifeway said, I doubt that actually comes as a great surprise to most people. So we don't have statistics. We don't need to have statistics to tell us if this is true. There's something in us that tells us that this is true. That if the fathers are, are faithful, if the fathers are there, if they're just present, the children gravitate towards better decisions, better lifestyles, better and more faithful lives overall. And yet, out of 94 million men in the United States, 68 million do not attend church. 85% of those say they did in fact grow up in church. These men aren't necessarily opposed to going to church, they said but they just don't see it as being necessarily male-friendly or something that they would want to do. Churches, by and large, are doing a great job in women's ministries, but in some ways it's easier to arrange that because women tend to gravitate and tend to grow into groups by nature. They like to talk to each other and, and share. Men don't necessarily think about that, and in fact, it actually would prefer, to prefer not to talk about such things. 55% of churchgoers are women, 45% are men. However, many of the men who attend church are not married and do not have children and are not involved in any children's lives, while over 80% of the women who attend do have children. Fathers are super important. They're so important. And on a day like today where we're celebrating Father's Day, we do need to celebrate Father's Day. Because as the children, the father goes, so goes the children. That's what happens in this nation. That's the reason why certain programs that have been put in by the government that incentivized not having fathers, fathers present, guess what it did? It destroyed the areas. It always destroys the areas. Fathers are important. And now you might be thinking to yourself in a way, you say, but Jesus is the son. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Father as in the Creator, the Beginner, the one who established. 
Christ is the father of the church in that he established it. He built it upon himself, upon that solid rock of God he established. And he oversees it. He governs it. He loves us. But we need to do the same thing. And even if you're not, if they're not your own children, find a child and be in their life. It'll make a world of difference. Children who do not have a father, their biological father, but are raised by another man or has another man present in their life, commit less than half the amount of crime as children who do not have a father present. It doesn't have to be a biological. It, they just need that presence. Fathers are vitally important. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loves him chases him when he's young. If you start when they're young, you don't have to be beating them when they're old. It will work. Even if they're, even if they're, they're stubborn, they're going to go out into the world, they're going to have to take their lumps before they realize it. At some point, they're going to turn back and say, you know what? Dad was right. It will happen. Even if it's late, it will happen. It will happen. Proverbs 3.12. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father who delights in his son, chastises him. The, the, there are men that they get such joy and pleasure out of their children. And yet, as much as it hurts, they have to discipline. Why? Because they love them. Proverbs 19.18. Chasten thy son while there is still hope. And let not you your let not thy soul spare for his crying. Basically, that says that actually comes from another Hebrew ver, uh, thing in another area that says it is better that the child weeps than that the father weeps on the day of his destruction. So that comes from withhold not correction from your child, although you strike him with the switch, he will not die. A strike with the rod shall deliver his soul from hell. The rod of reproof gives wisdom. A child left to his own brings shame to his mother. And the final one is 20, Proverbs 22, 15, which says, The foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but correction drives it far from him. We need fathers. We need them so badly in our society. And they don't even need to be great fathers. They just need to be there. They just need to be there. And they don't need to be blood. They just need to be a father figure. That is what the pastor is to the sheep. The pastor is to the sheep. The shepherd is to the sheep. The shepherd is a fatherling figure that helps guide and direct them when they're young. He starts it when they're lambs so that when they grow older, they already know and love him. They know his voice. They understand these things. If you start them when they're young... It stops the bad behavior when they're older. Or at least if they do the bad behavior, at some point, that will come back to them. It will come back to them. It's up to them to choose, but it will come back to them. We need to imitate God as the shepherd in this world. And that we need to fight for truth. We need to pastor, teach, and evangelize. Get them in the church. Get people in the church. And then don't just get them there and leave them. Help disciple them. Help work with them. It is something we do by choice. It is something that is a gift to God, of God to us to get to do. It is something that we will have to do. It's not easy. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to, sometimes you have to buy <laughs> through hard work every little inch that you get. 
It's not going to be easy. Sometimes you have to do it and say the hard thing. It's the hard thing, but you say it in love. And you have to discipline. You have to discipline as much as it hurts you more than it hurts them. You have to discipline. You feel like, man, I can't do it. I can't. You have to. You just have to. Those five things are important. And those are the ways that we imitate Christ is by being present, by doing the hard things, by doing them because they're the right things, by standing up for those who can't defend themselves, and by being that authority that they know that they can, that's always going to be there. So that when the time comes that you're not there and they need to rely on God, they know that God is a father. And they know what that means. That he's going to be there for them. He's going to be there for them, no matter how hard it is. May we, as we go out today, celebrate fathers in our country that does not celebrate fathers. May we celebrate fathers in a culture that does not put emphasis on it. May we encourage men to step up. And those of us who are men, may we step up. May we step up and do a better job. Why? Because we're imitators of Christ. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. And we are to imitate him. Just as Paul, just as the apostles imitated Inspire us today for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, for this day. Will you just be with everyone as we go out, that we will spread a little bit of joy and a little bit of love throughout this community and throughout this world as we go. May we wear a smile because what better way to brighten someone's day than with a smile? May you be with us and protect our hearts, guide our hearts, that we will not get angry or bitter, we will not let the past dictate our future, that we will continue to grow in you and through you. May you watch for all of us. May you continue to help us. May you continue to guide this church and guide all these individuals as we go out and be caretakers that you intended us to be. May you watch us and guide us and ask for all these things in your holy and your precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.